0: Welcome to the AI in Action podcast, the show where we break down the hype and highlight the practical benefits of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence on our everyday lives. Describe to the podcast, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any Android podcast of choice. My guest today is Bart Lahan. Bart is the CTO and co-founder of Edgetier, for those who don't know, EdgeTier was founded in 2015 and now focus on the development of cutting-edge AI applications that move contact centers into a new era of efficiency and performance. Over the course of the next 15 minutes or so, Bart will give us some insight into how he came about to set up EdgeTier and some of the challenges he faced along the way. He'll also explain how EdgeTier works for customer support contact centers by understanding their data to allow their clients make better decisions, which in turn will also help them reduce costs and improve their customer service. Later, Bart will tell us about EdgeTier's Automated Agents Assistant Ardair and the benefits it can bring to businesses. We'll also discuss where you think the AI is going in the future, especially in the next couple of years. And Later, we'll talk about human involvement alongside technology. It's a really interesting episode for you today, so sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Bart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, first off, tell me a little bit more about your background and how you actually came about setting up EdgeTier.
1: Um, so my own background is very much in technical technical background, so I did an engineering degree and liked college a lot, so I ended up staying on and doing a PhD there as well and doing some research. Um, so I started out very much on the, on the kind of technical branch of things. I uh, worked in software development there for a number of years as well. So I suppose as I progressed I tried to go more into more commercial areas, so I was always, I was very interested in the commercial application of research and the commercial application of, of technology. So went into more commercial roles and I guess that kind of led me to, to, to start Edge here as well to kind of bring some of that machine learning AI work that I saw happening out there into to kind of commercial reality.
0: Were you, t- were you tempted to stay on and try to get a professorship or kind of stay in the
1: world? Uh, I was not I wasn't. I, wasn't. I, I I always was, like I said, I was always very interested in using technology for either commercial benefit or for, you know, people to use it hands on. I, I get the reasoning behind basic research and the kind of thoughts, the thought behind that, but I... I always like to see the application side of it, so for me the kind of commercial life was always probably the one I was going go to go go down.
0: What were some of the challenges you faced in creating the Edge tier platform and what did you do to overcome them?
1: Um, so I think, you know, given the founding team is quite technical in, in Edge tier, I think we, we naturally gravitate towards the technical side of things. So we're probably at our happiest, if the truth be told, when we're solving problems and we're building things. The biggest challenge I think is in building the right things. So we, we have, and I know we have been guilty of spending time um, building things that maybe didn't have that much of an impact or building the wrong stuff or spending two or three months solving a very, very difficult technical problem that didn't really need to be solved. Um, so the, the biggest challenge I think overall for us is in getting the right requirements, getting the, right, getting the, the, the thing right. So we spend a lot of time now working directly. So our, our areas in customer support and, and contact center kind of space. Um, so we spend a lot of time there working directly with them, sitting beside agents, sitting beside managers, understanding their problems very, very clearly before we write a line of code, before we go and solve that kind of hard, uh, hard problem.
0: Yeah, there's some really, really uh, good innovations around that space. Uh, recently, I saw a presentation about how they've got mm-hmm. this AI software that's helping to prep all the, helping to prep the the people in the call center, but also. The manager can listen to forty different calls at any one time with key information right. uh, coming in, uh, and the top salespeople were were collecting all the key data that the other top salespeople were using, and it was actually increasing their conversion of sales by an extra fifteen to twenty percent. Yeah. So some of the stuff um, doing was, was, was yeah, like really the, the contact
1: centers, they, they have to deal with such volume of data. I mean, there's. There's, yeah, there's a big angle, which is, which is where we play in a lot, is in improving efficiency and making, making people work harder. But there's also another side, which is just understanding the volume of data going through. A lot of these contact centers are getting maybe tens of millions of contacts per year, be they calls or chats or emails. It's a lot of data there. Often it's overlooked. There's a lot of really interesting data there. I mean, even from my own, my own kind of background, before I started Edge here, I, I worked in as a as a product manager. Uh, for a while, and you know, we were always talking to customers and, and getting requirements from customers, and then we're starting things from customers. Um, there's a huge amount of hidden customer pain points, customer challenges, customer opportunities, opportunities for features hidden away in data that's kind of buried in tickets and buried in in, in the depths of your contact center as well.
0: Yeah, so you've grown from the telecommunications center into the customer service and contact center space, so how does actually Edge tier help their businesses grow their business with clear data-driven decision-making?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's really two sides to, to Edge here on what we do. Um, everything, like I said, everything we do is very focused on customer support contact centres. Um, and there's really two sides to how we, how we help them. On the one side, it's very much kind of up per sleeves data science type consultancy projects where we go in, like I said, roller your sleeves look at all the vast amounts of data, data that are there and help them understand what's what's going on. Um, we found usually contact centres have, have quite good reporting, business intelligence, kind of statistical type reporting about volume of contacts, types of contacts, th- they're usually very well catered for. But often the reasons behind contact or, or, or the the ways to reduce contact or the ways to improve customers, customer satisfaction, they're quite non-obvious. Um, so what we do for with Contact centers is, like I said, roll up our go in, understand both the challenges that the business is having, understand um, their data, and do maybe a second level or third level of analysis on that. And, and really, I suppose the aim or the outcome of that is, is to go from what most people in contact centers have is kind of hunches on what's wrong or hunches on how they can improve to kind of concrete facts saying, okay, if you do this, it, it'll cost you X amount to implement, but it will save you Y or it will improve your customer satisfaction by by, by Z. Um, so we found that a lot in, in, in customer service teams there slightly underserved by analytics teams in that a lot of them would have, like a lot of these are quite big companies, so they would have analytics teams or analytics departments, but they're underserved in the contact center because the analytics people are working on increasing sales or they're working on um, maybe marketing efforts. Or, and churn, or churn, for example. Churn prediction, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and they're not really focused <coughs> on the contact center on the contact center too much.
0: Tell me a um, lip, tell you about some of the examples that you maybe c- for the listeners today where you've added some benefits for the customer's bottom line, or maybe if there was something that you could see as a key variable that people were ignoring that actually uh, added a difference?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, the, the key thing is going from kind of hunches to facts, and what tends to happen in a lot of cases is, you know, the, the people have certain experiences of why people are contacting, and everyone has a hunch, right? There's usually two drivers in any contact center, one being reduced cost, and the other being improved customer service. And everyone has their own thoughts on that. One of the key things that we try to do is is bring them towards facts. So, uh, you know, as an example, um, we worked with a a utility company and they had a, you know, a a, a senior manager who felt that um, media readings were were driving a lot of contact. And, And he was right to a certain degree, they were driving contact. But actually it was a comparatively small problem compared to, for example, the move in, move out process, which not only was driving contact, but was driving repeat contact and was leading to frustrated customers. Yeah. So being able to go, yeah, you know what, that is a problem, um, but it only affects you know, 4% of people, whereas this bigger problem um, affects a lot more people and it affects people in the, you know, 45 to 55 age bracket who are being onboarded in, a, in maybe a, a non-optimal way maybe they're not aware of some of the web channels that are available so you can kind of pinpoint people. In that
0: I, I remember interviewing the CEO of Brightbill recently enough and he, he was telling um, yeah, tellin me about um, the amount of data uh, that they had on your average bill but if you could actually present it in a better, better hmm. way the amount of customer calls would massively reduce for some of the large players, like AT&T, that the revenue that you would, or the costings that you would save. I remember just being astounded uh, that you can actually do within that. And so much of it uh, can be helped and prevented if you're just really, really savvy around that. So turning that hunch into a fact is so important because we all have those itches that we just don't quite know but it's usually the bigger issue that's actually causing the pain.
1: Yeah, and, and indeed in a lot of the cases it, you can you can go even a few steps further than that and, and start dividing up your customer base into very small kind of micro segments where, you know, th- there's, a, there's a certain message that can be sent to a 25 to 30 year old that you shouldn't send to a 55 to 60 year old. Um, and in a lot of cases, a lot of cases kind of reducing contact is, is education and giving the right message out to a customer. So if you want to push people towards a web-based channel where you know most companies have well-run web channels where you can self-serve and you can do lots of things. You maybe need to tailor that message a little bit for different kinds of people and have the right channel ready for them.
0: Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, tell me a little bit about your kind of experience with AI and automation, agent assistants like Arter, yeah. And tell me about you think the impact will happen maybe in the next couple of years. Where, where do you see, see it going?
1: Yeah, so this is the, this is the other side, and probably the, the biggest growing side of Edge is in the agent assist technology. So we have a, a product called Arthur, which allows agents to respond to inbound queries quicker. So in a nutshell, what the system does is it it analyzes an inbound query, a text-based query, so an email or, or a chat or, 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 a, or an SMS. Once it understands what the person is contacting about, it can then formulate a response, and if necessary, take the steps that help the agent to, to respond to that. So we can operate in a very autonomous mode where Arthur just does everything, but generally we favor the agent assist mode where we're proposing here are the actions that we think are right to the agent and allow the agent to tweak them or change them if necessary, but we get them kind of 80, 90% of the way there. Brilliant. Um, so that's what the Arthur product, product does. I, in terms of improvements, we've seen pretty big improvements there. So in general, as a general rule, when we use AI enabled responses in Arthur, we find about a four X improvement in productivity. Um so in 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 production environments we've seen agents being able to essentially do the work of four other people. Which is which has been pretty pretty great. That it's that kind that of a step that change that in, that's in kind of pretty, that's pretty super. Um and you know, obviously there's been kind of comparative increases in customer support and customer satisfaction scores as well. So we, we do it's a little bit harder to track. How much you're contributing to NPS and how much you're contributing to, to some of the scores, but generally they've been they've been rising as well, which is which is pretty positive because if you're if you're turning out responses but they're they're bad, then it's 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 going to decrease your customer satisfaction. Um, so that's the that's the main kind of benefits that we see from that. And where
0: do you see the next two to three years of AI going? And it's a very broad question. And um, we've obviously got deep learning, uh, voice is becoming so important uh, now as well. Do you see any trends? Google recently just had their, their annual conference there, which their assistant was particularly interesting. It was kind of scary how real it actually sounded. We were kind of joking off, uh, off air. that's passed the Alan Turing test <laughs> in terms of you don't know who's who, but all that's ums and ahs. Where do you see it going?
1: Yeah, and, and I think the Google, the Google example is a really good example of, of how I think AI can be used in, in, in a good way. Uh, and we see that a lot as well. I, I think in general, AI will be, will be focused on narrow applications. So one, one of the interesting things about the, the, Google, uh, the Google example was, um, aside from the, 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 the voice sounding so natural, was they chose a few narrow segments to, to, to allow that to work. So they, they, they said that this will work in booking a hair appointment or booking a, a, a restaurant uh, table, and presumably they'll, they'll expand that out to lots of other things. But they started to be quite narrow, and then they'll broaden it out. And I think, in general, that's where we'll see a lot more AI uh, applications to solve very specific problems um, in very specific areas and then, you know, broaden those out. And um, we would see that quite a lot as well in, in what we're doing where, you know, we could use AI for lots of things, um, but we choose to use it primarily for understanding natural text that comes in. And that's what it's really, really good at and is, you know, better than any other system, any other machine learning algorithm or any other you know, software system out there. It's really, really good at that. But we choose not to use it for generating the responses because they're better made by humans, they're better made by logical decisions. So I think in a broad sense, AI will be used more and more for kind of bespoke, narrower things. Many of them may be chained together, but it will solve small, narrow problems and then kind of broaden
0: yeah the augmented nature now of how kind of machines and people are coming together and actually working together is really really uh, fascinating to, to see that rather than the kind of one versus the other um as well and the upskilling on jobs is i think is particularly interesting too
1: yeah we, and and that's that's very relevant in the in the in the customer support space um i think it's you, you know you can automate a lot of stuff you can automate things away but generally it's better when there's a human involved yeah. i mean computers or you know ai models are very good at um understanding kind of text they're very good at doing those things they're very good at removing repetitive mundane tasks but they're really bad at understanding sarcasm they're really bad at empathy they're really bad at humor and um, which humans are very very good at sure. so you know you don't want a system responding to a customer who says, oh, you know, my, my husband has just died and I and I and I need to, to cancel my flight or I need to do something. You want a human to be involved in that. Yeah, in yeah, that, course. you know, in that discussion. Um, whereas you do want a, a, an AI model or an automation yeah. model or a piece of software to take the burden away from an agent of doing the same thing 100 times over and over yeah, again. Yeah. Um, so you know it's about using the right tools for the right jobs. Yeah
0: digital dexterity becomes really really important for when p- the business is actually upskilling those people to, mm. to allow them to become more comfortable with technology and using it as an enabler as well and I really see the companies now that are embracing that and really investing mm. into the people and the companies as the ones that are actually getting the evolution, but also having the innovations and the, and the dramatic change as well, which is which is really, really nice to see. Yeah,
1: there was an interesting talk I saw recently, um, a lady called Nicola Mollard, I think, from BT, uh, and she was kind of equating, you know, what, what would be high value jobs in the future. And one of the, the examples that she gave was the difference between a, a pilot and an, an air steward. And, you know, now I think you know pilots would be better paid than air stewards, but in the future, the pilot's job could very easily be automated, but the actual interaction with an air steward or an air is very difficult to automate. That you know, customer-facing view of the company. If you're an airline, you want your your the the air or air to be very warming and welcoming. you Can't really automate that. You can put a machine there if you want, but it's not really going to be the same. So in kind of the long term, those kind of the, the value of those jobs will almost flip. Yeah, um,
0: particularly on a long on a long um flight if you get the wrong air steward
1: it, yeah. it could be a pretty bad experience yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So especially if you've got kids and mix uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. too as well Bart, thank you very much for your time really appreciate it great you're very thank welcome thank you that's all for this episode of ai in action hope you really enjoyed it if you'd like to stay updated with all the latest podcasts then please head over to the website aiinaction.ie and subscribe to the newsletter to get the podcast delivered straight to your inbox Finally, I'd like to take the time to let you know about the AI Awards. We're now looking for applications from academia and industry professionals to apply. Set up in 2018, the AI Awards are a not-for-profit business community-led initiative that was set up to celebrate the best in artificial intelligence and data science in Ireland. Our focus is to support the AI community by recognizing the hard work and dedication of those working in the field of AI, data science, and machine learning. We see this as a fantastic opportunity to showcase your work and skills to the AI community on the island of Ireland and also help raise the profile of Ireland as a destination for AI investment. Winning an award brings industry-wide recognition, raises your company profile and increases awareness of your brand and product. Applications take only a couple of minutes, so go ahead, apply today at www.aiawards.ie. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week.